I still need to pick another topic for both of you. Avery, I don't want to do the Dick Cheney one because it's too topical. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. Too soon. (laughs) Topic Lords. Hi, I'm Shannon. Avery. And I'm Jim. And this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. Shannon, would you like to introduce yourself or do you have anything to plug? Yeah, I'm going to plug a show called Game Changer, actually, on the Dropout TV network. I've been binge watching it, and it's hilarious. It's sort of the original premise of Game Show, where the game changes every episode, and the contestants do not know what the rules of the game are, and they have to sort of figure it out over the course of the game. And uh, it's it's pretty darn funny. Cool. Uh, and Avery, would you like to introduce introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? I don't know, my album. Every time I plug my yeah, album, I feel... Error, errorwithanf.com. <laughs> yeah. I, I live in the house of another frequent guest of yours, right. Stevie. This isn't going to get out right. No one's going to hear this. Stevie has been out of town, and I let a band stay here over the past <laughs> few nights. And I was watching them at a show and discussing my difficulties getting my album onto Spotify with one of them. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that I haven't put my album on Spotify yet just because I like describing the fact that Spotify keeps rejecting my album for the cover, for the artwork on the cover. Yeah. Because my music is all like sad folk music. And so it sounds it sounds so cool to say that like my album art is too extreme for, it's for Spotify. Ex- it's extremely like working class hero like you're not even not even accepted enough to be on spotify yeah yeah the the frog fraction soundtrack also not on spotify oh yeah because of the album artwork yeah definitely that's definitely (laughs) it's not just because i haven't bothered submitting it oh did you put the bug porn drawings i did on the album oh that would be such (laughs) a good idea yeah that would that wouldn't help i thought you were gonna say that the uh band uh, helped you get your album on Spotify in exchange for Room and Board. <laughs> that would be amazing. No, they didn't do anything. No, they're no, they uh, they just showed up and actually they bought me dinner, which was nice. Oh, but... that is nice. Okay, that is nice. Yeah, it felt a little bad because I'm not like I'm in a better financial situation than I've ever been in my life, so it felt weird to have a bunch of musicians on tour buying me dinner, but <laughs> I, I let it happen. Well, there's something in the Constitution about not having to quarter musicians on tour or something so yeah that's true that's because they had to buy you the meal to get around that clause probably (laughs) yeah it's because during the revolution the british kept housing punk bands in uh in people's houses (laughs) and it got really loud and annoying and people had to wake up early back then for farming (laughs) and stuff and they only know the two chords yes yeah and also like punk wasn't the same during the revolutionary war as it is now like had a lot of drum and fife punk yeah that sounds good. Oh man, the the volume disparity between a drum and a fife. It's <laughs> <laughs> the drums have to be really far away, and the fife player has to be really close to the audience. And like, really, the thing that makes it punk is the fife fife, fife player has to like really be blowing on the fife <laughs> and be like right in your face while the drums are like across the battlefield away. Yeah, yeah. I, so I guess I'm gonna plug the uh, the frog fractions soundtrack is coming to uh vinyl not spotify uh i guess i guess i could do spotify too but the the nice thing about having like an lp made of of it is that somebody came to me and asked to do it and then did all the work uh nice so wow amongst a certain kind of music nerd 
there is a longing for LPs because of the size and the casing, because it it's like you bought a piece of art that you could hang yes. on your wall. Yeah. And so now I'm imagining that this has that bug porn <laughs> on it. and that I approve can, of this. People are going to be able to hang it on their wall. Yeah, we, the the art, album art is not finalized. We got some ideas <laughs> for it. Someone's working on it. I do feel like the bug porn I drew really didn't show up in very many places. <laughs> so if you wanted to. Honestly, it really didn't. Like, I think Surprising. I found because it was part of the ARG. Yeah. Um. So the few places I've been able to find it were like people writing about the ARG and showing those images in like the the description of what went down there. There's there was an article by Justin McElroy actually where he, yeah where he posted some of those images. Oh and I was wow! Just like oh, senpai noticed me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, well, this um, was this was back when Justin McElroy wasn't famous enough that he didn't still have the day job yes, of doing video game exactly. writing. This is when he still worked at Polygon. But yeah, no, those uh, those images, I don't think actually even all of the ones we made got put in the ARG, if I remember. Yeah, so I don't I know. I don't think the full calendar ever got released. No, that's, yeah, that, that could be a... Uh... Merch opportunity. Wait, did you really draw 12 of them? Thought so? Well, we'll... we'll Maybe not. I'll do some research. I'll, I'll see what I have in my files. If not, 12 of them could be drawn. Like, yeah, yeah. You could have a full bug porn calendar. Yeah. Oh, wow. 12 different kinds of bugs have sex, so. I went through this phase where I was really curious about how dinosaurs would have had sex because, what the hell? you know, so, some of them are so large. Right. Well, okay. And I proposed this to a friend of mine. I was like, how? And this friend who is a scientist, he's a neuroscientist, so he doesn't know anything about how dinosaurs. Yeah. And I said, how? And he said, I don't know. I can imagine a Tyrannosaurus Rex having sex with a Triceratops, but I can't imagine two Triceratopses having sex with each other. <laughs> and uh, I don't know why that seemed apropos to mention during this bug sex conversation. Oh, are they the same kinds of bugs or are they bugs that are... Is it interracial? Doing it with other bugs. Oh, in the calendar? Yeah. In the calendar, it's actually all pinups. So it's yeah. just a singular bug in a pinup pose. Oh. Um, so I believe we did what we did a centipede. We did a uh, the sexiest did a bug, dung beetle. <laughs> Honestly, I was really proud of the centipede and the negligee with the telephone. That was my favorite by far. And we did a firefly, a praying mantis, and the praying mantis was dressed as a sexy nun for Halloween. I think That's good. There were a bunch. Yeah. So the praying mantis has like a normal life where it's not dressed like a nun. <laughs> right. Yes. 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 No, this is the, its The praying mantis is cosplaying. So <laughs> I'm not sure yet because I haven't actually looked at when this episode will be released, but I think that the pre-orders will be up by, by the time it's released. So go search. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. There we go. I was going to say search Twitter for Mogwai Poet and then look for the tweet I made about it. Uh, but looking in the show notes is probably a better idea. Exciting. Are we uh, ready for another topic or, or to start on some topics, in fact? To start a topic. Yeah, let's do it. Avery, your topic is measure words. In Mandarin, which I learned in at junior college 20 years ago um, and then promptly forgot because I was too embarrassed to speak it around people, there is a, something called measure words. And measure words, when you measure something with a number, like counting, um, you cannot just say one pencil, you have to include a unit between the 
quantity and the object being measured. So it is though you have to say like one unit of pencil anytime you want to talk about a number, assign a number to um, objects of some kind. And these measure words are specific to like, there's different measure words for different kinds of things, but the measure words don't make a lot of logical sense. Like uh, the one that I remember is there's a measure word gua, which is for people and buildings and I think planes and things like that. Um, so there's just like these random categories which have evolved probably over thousands of years to to make absolutely no logical sense. And you just kind of have to remember them and associate them. Do I have this right that this is what the word you say if you are counting, if you are saying like there are five people over there, you would use this word to represent yes. the that you'd put it next to the number. Yes, yes. You'd have to say five. Uh, I'm not going to repeat the word because I don't remember if I'm pronouncing it correctly. But sure. five. I'll copy and paste it. Building person plane of people, right? Or like, there's one that's for that's for branches and fingers and pencils, and that's like <laughs> logical, kind of. Yeah, they're all long, skinny things. Yeah, it's like you're saying I have three. I'm holding up three long, skinny thing fingers. Right. Yeah, there's one in in Japanese that is like like flat things. I think. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Like for slices right. of. Yeah, you would use a different word for if you were counting Mario's versus Luigi's. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> yeah. No, I've been running into this with with trying to learn a tiny bit of kanji and and Japanese as well, where um, like I, I I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I think it was like feathers of birds or something like that. Like the at least the the pictograph for for feathers or oh like with books there was there was a word for counting books specifically and I noticed that the word there's the word for book which has a certain symbol and then the word for counting books but if you put the two of them together you have bookshelf and I just thought oh interesting bookshelf is the word for books plus the counter word for books it's like a murder of crows. <laughs> well, it, I mean, it kind of would. Well, exactly. Actually, I mean, that's an interesting example. But like English also has counter words like a slice of bread or a slice of pizza. Yeah. Yeah. Versus like a bowl of soup, a dish of spaghetti or, you know, a glass of water, a bar of soap. Like we do this, too. We just don't. I think ours are a little bit less um, consistent. Or, or or required or something. Yeah. Like I, th I think if you used something else. Yeah, you would never say a soap or three soaps. I have a soap here. You'd say I have a bar of soap, but you might also say like I've got a tube of soap or something if you had a if you had a soap that was in a tube. For oh some right, because it's, it's it's in a bar. You you just you describe the Right. And similarly when you say a pair of pants, that's because there's two of them. Uh-huh. Right. Like I there's a number of things where it basically doesn't change but other ones it does so i'm not sure how strict that is but also we don't have it for everything i don't think whereas it seems like it happens a lot more in um japanese and chinese where there there has to be a counting word there yeah my my memory is that it was a, a strict requirement but i i could be misremembering that um that like in mandarin it would be very unusual not to use a measure word for something but you do have to like you just have to remember what the measure word is um, because it's, you know, it's grown out of, you know, 
thousands and thousands and thousands of years of we're just going to associate this thing with this other thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, so yeah. it, um, but then it, it kind of expands over time with new inventions and things like that, I'm sure. So I don't know, like I'm looking at here, like cars, bicycles, machines, mechanical devices, household appliances, all has the same counter word. I have to imagine that that started with like bicycles. I don't know. A group of bicycles <laughs> is the same as a group of toasters. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like they were probably, I don't know, it probably was just like the word for counting that. And then they, it just sort of expanded out from there. Um, or like for some reason, there's one for small fish and shrimps, <laughs> specifically small ones. And this is, this is one of those language situations where like, if you used the counting word for buildings to count shrimps, like... That might even be like an avenue for making a joke. Yeah. Or it might be like everybody understands you, but you sound like a ch very young child. Uh, yeah. Okay, here's here's one that's now making me angry. We we had our section for bicycles, cars. Rickshaws has its own different one, which is in the set of long, narrow things, you know, <laughs> like guns, like sticks of inks, palanquins, rickshaws, and violins. <laughs> All notoriously long, narrow things. <laughs> I'm glad palanquins, palanquins get their own uh, get in there. Yeah, but they're they're in with uh, you know guns and sticks of inks because those are all related. But then there's some that do like well. Okay, hang on. There's one that is for sheets, pages, leaves. So far, so good. Tools, scissors, saws, trousers, pistols. Not guns, pistols. It's different. Cakes of tofu, town blocks, and <laughs> servings at a restaurant. Those are all one counter because all of those things are related to one another. Yeah, this was this was like a um, a stumbling block for me in learning Mandarin. The grammar is very similar to English grammar, uh, and in some cases simpler than English grammar. Really? Yeah. So, like grammatical construction was not difficult. The two things that were difficult for me is that it's a tonal language. Yeah, it's, it's why I never spoke it, even though um, I grew up in the South Bay and like half of my friends were native Mandarin speakers. I never spoke it around anyone because I couldn't keep the tones straight. Mm -hmm. um, so like different, there's four tones in Mandarin. Um, and I think similarly for for uh, for Cantonese, different tones for what to an English speaker would sound like the same word are different words and completely different meanings. Yeah. And I'm pretty good with tones because I'm. I sing, but uh, you got musical talent. Yeah, but I, but uh, not remembering which thing is which was like enough to keep me from practicing with anybody that could actually help me learn the language. That's fair. Yeah, I I also have been afraid of trying to actually learn any type of Chinese because of the tones. Yeah, I remember asking somebody, "What about singing in Chinese? How does that how does that work?" Because but because the tone doesn't match to the note that you're singing and the answer i got was pretty much it's just contextually you figure it out like you're <laughs> you're literally just saying the wrong thing while you're singing oh sure yeah but they can by context figure it out and that made me think about the discussion we had about people saying parte and stuff like that in in a lot of songs like there's a there's a way that we say things in songs that don't Oh, that yeah. don't rhyme yeah. properly. And I was like, oh, is it really that different than that? You know, I don't know. Lyrics and songs are really important to me. But like, there's plenty of times where I cannot understand what someone is saying. And they're singing in my native language without an accent. Yeah, Oh, that's, that's true. the song. 
it was Yoshimi uh, versus the robots or something the, like the that. The pink that robots, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, it drove me nuts that to sing it, quote unquote, correctly, you had to say her name is Yoshime. Right. And I'm like, her name isn't Yoshime. It's Yoshimi. <laughs> it says it right in the song, but right. it doesn't rhyme with all the other... She's got a black belt in karate. Uh, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't rhyme if you don't do Yoshime. Um, well, except that you could totally like pronounce both words correctly in Japanese, and then they would rhyme. Hey, well, karate is actually karate though. Hey, but then, but then they say sité, right? <laughs> Working for the sité, and I'm like, wait, you could have said city, and it would have rhymed. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Okay, you know how you know how they say there's no rhyme with orange. Yeah, they do. They do say that. They say that all the time. People are always saying that. I'm always trying to write I, a song. I keep. I, I like four people told me that today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you saying there is door hinge? Yeah. Yep. Oh my god. I and I've been trying to write a song that just has the word orange and door hinge in it, just to just to stick it to the man. There was yeah. a there was a Tom Lehrer joint that had uh that rhymed orange with the middle of two words it was bizarre enjoyment <laughs> uh that's because tom Lehrer's genius it was very good uh, uh that piano playing what is he like a math teacher i think it's like a, a polymath yeah <laughs> a polymath teacher but yeah a, a polymath and engineer math anyway go on <laughs> One more thing about trying to learn kanji and by extension traditional Chinese characters, which is that I was trying to just look at the thing as a whole and just memorize it. I was just looking at it and I'm like, I'm going to remember that. And I was having a really hard time with that because there's a lot going on in these characters. Uh, and then a friend of mine was like, well, okay, this radical though means like flower or plant. So you can use that to help. This is what happens when you try to use Duolingo to learn a language and you don't get anybody explaining to you that there's more to it than that. So then I was like, oh, okay, these these break down into like smaller versions that then are put together and the smaller things mean things. And so if you can remember like that the the meanings of the smaller ones I mean, it, this isn't like this doesn't work for everything, but a lot of the times you can remember the meanings for the smaller ones, and you can pick out the smaller ones and the bigger ones uh, as a combination. But then I started, so I went through and I like learned a bunch of radicals, which are the smaller ones, and then I started getting to bigger words where it was combining them together, and sometimes it totally made sense. Like, uh, like speech was like, uh, I don't know, I'm probably gonna get this. There, there was like sound and tongue or something that they like combine together and it's like okay well that that makes sense because now it's like talking or speech um but then there were other ones where it was like like roof woman tree and that means plan or something and i was like why why did these three things <laughs> mean this other thing and so now what i have been doing and i don't know if this is a good idea is making up my own weird stories in my head for why this means the thing so i have all these strange stories about like how oh man this woman really thought the christmas tree would fit in here but it went through the roof that was a bad plan or something uh, you know to right. try to like yep. to try to piece it together into something i can remember uh, that make, that really makes me think of like um, 
the method of loci, like uh, uh, memory palaces or techniques for memorizing large strings of numbers and stuff, where people make mental associations between images and uh, like for memor- for memorizing large strings of numbers, there are competitions where people memorize large strings yes. of numbers. Um, that is what I'm essentially doing to try to remember these things. And I don't know if it's a good idea. Like I, I, my app that I'm using allows me to make a note, right? And I've realized I'm relying a lot of the times on the note. So for like, here's an example of a note I wrote was um, the word for rest, like to, to rest is person plus tree. And so I said, okay, person plus tree equals person resting under a tree. And then I got body, which was person plus book. And I was like, an anatomy textbook, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And then I got person plus say equals faith, a person praying, you know. And so it, that's like all of my notes are like blank plus blank. But then you get into ones where it's not just a thing next to a thing, but on one side, it's a thing over a thing and then next to another thing. So I have like, you know, stand over mouth next to person equals and i'm like this is just becoming math now like this isn't making any sense it's like you're giving yourself synesthetic experiences <laughs> it's like got a bunch of just Im- random images running alongside of your understanding of this language yeah exactly it, like right and long after you've forgotten how to speak the language you'll remember these stories exactly yeah. much like how i re- like the few bits of like katakana and hirakana i can remember are ones that are based off of these doodles that my first year japanese teacher made to try to help us remember which ones were which so for example uh row has a certain shape and for some reason she made row look like a rope right and then rue is the same shape except there's a little loop at the end and so she wrote there's a roop in the rope and every time I write out Rue, I'm like, ah, yes, there's a Rue in the rope. <laughs> and it's so great. It's like when I was learning guitar, I, I didn't take very many guitar. I took about a year of guitar lessons um, from this guy who had been in like a hair metal band in San Jose, California, where I grew up. He's a very nice guy, but he was explaining me how to memorize things on the fretboard. And on most guitars at the 12th fret, there are two dots to... to to let you know that you're at the 12th fret because it's an important fret. And he said to me, I always think of two as in two six packs equals 12. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's, it's two dots and it tells okay. you that you're on this uh, on the 12th fret. And so what obviously like two divided by 12 is six. So obviously two six packs, that's what that stands for. <laughs> and okay. It was a moment where I was like, I've just learned too much about this guy. <laughs> right. Also, like whatever works. Yeah. Well, and also now it's the it's like one of the only things I can remember about him <laughs> <laughs> because that was when I was 15. Do you use that still when you're when you're on the guitar? Does that pop oh, up yeah. in your head? I, I can't not use it. I would like to forget about it, but I yeah. can't. <laughs> here's, here's one of my my more favorite ones that I managed to come up with was um, water plus tongue was lively and now i think looking back i could have just imagined that someone's uh speaking so excitedly that they're kind of spitting on you a little bit (laughs) but instead my brain said oh yeah if you have water in your lungs and someone needs to use their tongue on you that's like cpr 
And if you, if you do CPR on someone there and successfully, they're going to become more lively than they were a minute ago. I think you might have the wrong idea about CPR. <laughs> not, not really supposed to use your tongue there. Are we ready for another topic? Yeah, I've learned I need to retake my CPR certification. <laughs> uh, Shannon, your topic is, is color even real? Is color even real? Is it? I don't know anymore. I've always thought the sort of general thing of, um, I feel like color is a really good example of this, where w- person A and person B, you know, you and I are looking at the same color, and I say it's blue, but I have no way to know what you're actually perceiving there. And frequently there will, I mean, I've, I've had this constant fight. Alex finally got rid of his uh, green polar fleece. It's not green. It's it's. It's gray. Am I allowed to swear on this part? Yes, you can say you can swear. It's fucking gray. It's not green. It's never been green. There's nothing green about it. But it infuriates me because he's he called it green for so many years that he would be like, uh, can you get my green polar fleece? And I'd be like, yes, I will get the green polar fleece. Definitely not green. <laughs> Was it once green? Is he doing this to mess with you? No, it was, no. It's just that in a very particular lighting, it was a slightly olive green, maybe. Like, I could see what he was going for, but I was like, in almost all lightings, it looks gray, but you insist on calling it green. And it, it, you know. And then, of course, the major example of this that sort of, uh, hit everybody's collective consciousness was the blue and black versus gold and white dress. But okay, really quick poll. How'd you see it? Oh, I was blue blue and black. Blue and black? Avery? I think I saw it gold. You saw it wrong is what you That's did. That's probably true. <laughs> it was blue and black. No, uh, I guess the, the real actual dress is blue and black, in fact. Um, but what it comes down to is how you're perceiving the lighting in the room based on the picture. So I, th- I can't remember exactly, but I believe what it was was that people who saw the picture and thought that the dress was being held up in outdoor light saw it as white and gold, and people who interpreted it as being indoors saw it as blue and black. That's a, that's a very yep. simplifying way of looking at it, but essentially that's what it boils down to. Right, right, because sunlight makes things look more blue, and or rather more yellow, and darkness makes things look more blue. Right. So there was a study apparently that was done, I learned about this on 99% Invisible, where they took, they just went and bought that dress, like the exact dress, and they put it in a room and changed the lighting in the room and had people come in and they could just change anybody's perspective of what color the dress was, not even just to those two tones, but they were able to start just making people think it was all kinds of colors <laughs> by just adjusting the color in the room. Uh, they could they could change people's perception of what color the dress was completely. Yeah. Gosh, whoever owns that dress must have sold it for so much money to these people. <laughs> oh, well, no, it was just a dress you could buy. It was like at Macy's or some shit. I could own that dress? Well, probably not anymore. It was... But it was during that season that that dress was like... Avery, I don't think it would fit you. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't hard to get at the time. Now now it might be a little harder to get. But I mean, the photo was just somebody taking a photo to like, you know, in a department store to like show to their friend and be like, do you think this dress would work? And then I think what 
I, I assume the situation that happened was that they were supposed to get like a bluish dress and they were like, hey, do you think this dress would work? And the friend wrote back, no, you're supposed to be wearing blue, not white. And they said, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, so, but what freaked me out about this concept that you can just change the colors in a, change the lighting in a room and your brain just comes up with a completely different color for something. I mean, I'm like, I knew that vision is just us interpreting lighting and that, but but it still kind of freaks me out that it's like, oh, there isn't nothing is a color like fundamentally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I would like my take on it would be that light is real. Light has a frequency. It is perceived by your sensory organs and then interpreted, and then only in your brain, going through all, going through all these filters, do you assign it the name of a color. But it's not even it's there's the matching like even if you didn't have a name for it right you could you could be like is this thing the same is this thing the same as mm, well if you if you uh, if you had a name for it a private name for it that you didn't tell anyone and you wrote down that private name in a book and then every time you saw this color again you checked a little mark and were like yep this is my private name for this. The the issue there is you might not be able to go back and look at that private name and look at all those check marks and verify uh, without once again seeing that same color patch that your name is actually associating each time with the color. Um, this is a this is an issue that uh, it might, up, it might drift over time. It might drift over time. Um, yeah, so you have to have a color patch right there to verify that that private name that you've associated with that color. Is actually, but then the material color. of the color patch might fade. That's right. Yes, if you were if you were real crazy about this and you just carried a picture around with you, it may be that the picture changes over time too. Ah! But then the and also the picture would be different. In, yeah, and ah. the picture the, the picture might be the picture would be different in different light because you have to access it through. Uh, if you're using an external stimulus, you have to access it through. So, like, if your color patch happened to be the color patch of the dress, then, you know, you might just be able to be like, whatever this color is that appears different in different light, I'm giving it my own little private name for it. And every time I see this color, I'm going to open my book that records the private name and check that I've seen it. Um, but then the problem that, that Jim brings up that it might change over time or your, or you matching that name with something else in the environment other than the patch for reference might be inaccurate. Are there people who have like, perfect pitch but for color is that a thing <laughs> that's really interesting um, i mean this... arguably everybody does like i if you think about what you're, we, we, what you're talking about when you talk about perfect pitch for music is you can categorize a frequency into it that, that goes in this bucket meaning a sharp or whatever uh and what we do for color is exactly that that goes in this bucket red and everybody can do that and everybody basically agrees what red is well, no, I mean, I guess like if you're saying, hey, you know, person with per perfect pitch, give me, you know, right. C4 on the piano, go. Yeah. Like there is an exact frequency that that is. It is an exact frequency. So I imagine with color, this would be like, hey, person with perfect color pitch, give me this hex code of red. Oh, yeah. The <laughs> you right. know? Maybe the hex code. But even then, like the hex code, like is interpreted by your monitor. And yeah. your, your color settings, like yeah. I don't think we have a, a a very specific like this number is red. That's right. Vision vision works 
surprisingly different. Like each, actually, a lot of these senses work surprisingly differently, which is interesting because you can you can get one sensory input to give you two sensory outputs, right? That's what synesthesia is, um, where like say uh, you know your color input also it produces in you a perception of color, but also a perception of smell. Right. But uh, the the actual way that you get the input into your brain appears to be pretty different for each for each sensory input and um the brain seems to be like we seem to be a very very deeply visual species such to the point that i i've i've never looked into this before but i've i've often wondered if you could have say like how many blind mathematicians there have been because like as a person who studied a lot of math um one of the reasons i never pursued decided not to pursue a higher degree in mathematics is because I'm not good at visualizing things mentally. Um, and, uh, it like the more, the deeper you get into abstract mathematics, the more it turns out that you need to be able to have a mental picture, like an actual picture, even if a simplified one of, uh, these abstract problems that you're working on. Wait, so you're saying that you didn't pursue it because you aren't good at visualizing? Yeah. Yeah. Because, uh, like one of my favorite math professors once told me like it, no matter how complicated the problem or abstract the problem that you're working on, um, if, if you can make a picture of it, then you can understand it. Um, or vice versa. If you understand it, then you can make a picture of it. Um, and sometimes these pic- like pictures are, are, I think this guy might've been ableist. <laughs> uh... That's interesting to me because I have always, and this is entirely based off of, you know, my own personal experiences or whatever, but I've always associated that people who are more visually minded are worse at math than people who are less visually minded. I have no idea if that's actually true or not, just in my own like experience of knowing people around me, that seems to be the case. I'm extremely visual <laughs> visual in my head. You're and using I'm... programming as a proxy for math there, is that right? Uh possibly, yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm thinking of like, I know my fair share of mathematicians and all of them work through visualizing things. It's, it, it I, I, I agree that it's, it's counterintuitive. Uh, like that advice was counterintuitive to me. And that's probably why this, uh, math professor felt like giving me the, it was, it was an interesting conversation I had where she was telling me that I wasn't doing my homework, but I was s- smart and could pursue mathematics if I wanted to, but then also gave me this advice that made me feel like I probably couldn't pursue mathematics as huh. a, as a higher, de- I, like I got an undergraduate degree, but I didn't, um, I didn't go on and get a graduate degree or a PhD or anything like that. But it, it also just like the, it left an impression on me of what a visual species we are that like this kind of super abstract reasoning that seems sort of detached from anything like the philosophy student in me has always been really um perplexed by this idea of uh your mind's eye there's the philosopher john searle once said or used to say a lot that um in order to be a philosopher you have to kind of be uh amazed and confused by by very simple things that other people take for granted and my version of that is visual is is using your mind's eye that like I can visualize a cube in my mind's eye, like I'm doing it right now, but it's not like, and, and in some sense I'm seeing it, like I'm using the same se- I'm using the same apparatus as I do to perceive the outside world, but I'm not using my eyes and I therefore am not 
actually like seeing a cube floating in my field of vision, but I definitely, or a square say, but I can definitely use my visual powers to visualize a square and then rotate it in my mind and verify that it has four corners and it's really a square. Yeah. No, that is very weird. Right. And I notably like, I can't do that. And then the reason I know that like, I know what you mean is that I can do it with sound. That's interesting. What? What do you mean you can do it with sound? I can I, I can, I, I can audiate. I have really good audiation. I can hear a song in my head or or a sound that I've heard and remember. Can you do that with smell? I can do that with sound and smell. I don't think I can do it with any other sense or it might be that it may actually be that like my ability to do it with sound is just it so overwhelms my other senses abilities to to do the equivalent of audiation that I I consider them to not effectively not be able to do it. That's interesting. Uh, wow, that's really interesting. There's because there's there's like a form of mental blindness where people can't. Yeah, aphantasia. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Jim's mother has it to probably the the most degree that I've ever heard of anybody describing it. Oh, really? Yeah, it's probably genetic. Honestly, this is. I remember talking to her about reading books because she loves reading like fantasy novels. And I was talking to her about how I get really annoyed in a fantasy novel when, you know, per- character walks in. I immediately have a mental picture of what this character looks like down to a T. My brain just gives me one. And then they start describing the person and it isn't in line with the mental picture. And I have to go back and like tweak and adjust. <laughs> and she was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And she's, and she was just saying, I was just like, well, what do you like see when like a character is introduced? And she was like, I don't see anything. Like I see the words on the page. What do you, what do you mean? (laughs) Wait, is this her finding out that she has this? No, she already knew, but she was trying to like explain to me that like, there is no image associated with it. There just isn't. Wow. And then we got down to like talking about things like, okay, well, what about, you know, visualize like your daughter. And she, you know, and it was like, well, she was like, oh, yeah, I can do that. And I'm like, but what does that look like to you? And it was sort of a list of attributes of what her daughter looks like, Uh as opposed to an actual image of her daughter, at least as far as how she was describing it. That was my understanding of what she was saying. Uh And so she, you know, it was sort of a, oh, yeah, when I see someone, I can immediately recognize them. But it's but I can't pull up an image of them in my head when they're not there. Um, I just, I don't know. I thought that was it. Oh, it it reminds me of stuff like blind sight. You know, you know about the phenomenon of blind sight? People who are blind who make their own like image in their head to navigate. Is that that? No, people who, uh, who are blind, but demonstrate the ability to see. So, so, uh, blind sight patients will often be able to do tasks like, uh, putting envelopes in, in envelope slots or uh, recognizing a shape. So a blind sight patient will be shown a shape. And even though they can't see, they'll, they'll be able to guess the shape at a higher degree of, of accuracy than chance. Yeah. So, so at some level, these folks are seeing, but they're not, they're not forming an image of their surroundings that they are conscious of. That's right. And, and it's, it's, uh, this would be very interesting to, um, I guess someone like me, like if you're pretty deeply Kantian, for all of you Kant folks out in the audience, um, uh, it uh, just go woo. <laughs> Where my Kant folks at? Hashtag Kant folks. <laughs> See, it shouldn't be the case that you uh, 
that you have this perceptual information that you're not that's not available to your conscious experience like that so these these would have to be people who like have eyes right like this is this is a phenomenon yeah. with yeah, people functioning, who like like the 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 organs are working. Their eyes are functioning, but their brain is just isn't giving them something that they can consciously interpret. Yeah, there's there's a dramatic disconnect between their experience of sight, like maybe they're not even having an experience of sight at all, and the data that they're receiving through their through their senses. That's wild. Yeah, brains are uh, once again on this podcast. Brains are wild. <laughs> Yeah, that's how I seem to end up on this podcast a lot. I, I remember two things come to mind. One is the first time I found one of those uh, programs where you can put in a picture and then uh, have it give an output of what this would look like to someone with a certain type of colorblindness and uh, had a friend in the room who had that type of colorblindness and was like, these two pictures, do they look the same to you? And he was like, yes. And I was like, I don't understand. How is that possible? Because the the example we gave, we were, we were using like pictures from My Little Pony, I think, because they had really bright colors. And the pink pony and the grass, to me, looked like the exact same shade of gray. <laughs> and so I pointed and I was like, what color is that? And he was like, that's green. And I pointed to the pony and I was like, what color is that? And he's like, that's pink. And I'm like, how can you tell them apart even? Like, how do you know that they look almost identical on yours, but they look completely different on mine? And and it was just that I assume just that he's had to a context, you know, the horse's name is Pinkie Pie, so it's pink and the grass is green because it's grass. But B, he must have had to really sharpen his senses for distinguishing between much closer shades in a way that I don't have to. Uh, and did you get it? Did you get an answer? What did he say? I mean, he said that they were different to him. He, he didn't really give a good. Okay. He, I, I didn't get a great answer. Just that, like, they were clearly different colors to him. These two sexy nut Nazi ponies look the same to you. <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's what it's about. Um, and then the other experience I had recently was uh, being with a bunch of friends, and we were singing together, and. Somehow we started talking about music theory and it came to light that I was, I have no music. I don't know anything. I know nothing about music theory, nothing at all. And they were trying to sort of explain things to me. And it just, I, it just immediately became clear that all of them were rather frustrated with my complete lack of vocabulary for what we were talking about. But also like, I don't know, there were lots of questions like, how are you able to come up with harmonies on the fly if you don't even know x and i'm like what do you i, I don't know you just do that so it, it was a really weird i can't really describe it but it felt like a really weird conversation to me because everybody else seemed to have some sort of understanding that i didn't have and were looking at each other and looking frustrated and confused and then telling me that i was asking questions that they would expect somebody who did have an understanding of music theory to ask but i was asking them using just random vocabulary that like I didn't have the vocabulary to ask the correct questions in the context of music theory. And it was just a very bizarre conversation where I was like, I don't know, what is an octave? I don't know what an octave is. What what does that mean? <laughs> what is a note? What is a key change? And then they were like, well, you know, trying to kind of explain it to me. And then, and then I was like, oh, when you do this, and they're like, yes, except usually you have to know the 
theory behind it to be able to do that and you're just doing it and I don't understand. So it was a very strange conversation. Music can be extremely intuitive. And in fact, before music theory was just intuitive. Well, that was one of the things that happened in the conversation. Like the music comes first. Like music theory is descriptive. Yes, yes, exactly. That was what was mind-boggling to me was they talked about how – uh, like, I'm going to say this wrong because I don't know anything about music theory, but something about how, like, at some point in t- in history, uh, an, you know, a note was codified as, you know, this is C4, this frequency is just, we're just going to call it that, and that's what it is always, but that before that, it wasn't necessarily a specific thing. Like, the reason that that was done was because instruments started happening and instruments had to be tuned yeah, there weren't standardized tunings. They weren't standardized. So the fact that they gave a name to an existing sound in order to standardize it, but like, I mean, I was starting at the level of, wait a minute, are you saying that notes exist? Like note, like sound, like the idea that a, that a note was a specific sound always that exists and it wasn't just something that like we came up with. I'm not describing this well. It just had never occurred to me that, 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 sounds or notes were just a sound that exists like an actual frequency that is like a a scientific thing as opposed to just a name we put on it and i guess to some degree it's both it's us picking one and naming it right um, right it's like how we we had the concept of units of measurement before they decided that like the distance that light travels in so many seconds fractions of a second is a meter that's weird to me it's so weird well, and the weirder still is, you know, there's like standard units that are made of what brass or something and kept in Paris. Right. Like, yeah, <laughs> that that's a that's a strange thing because that unit will change shape. And it's it's sort of like the example of color. Well, that's why we had to redefine it in terms of light. Yeah. But also the space expands. Um, oh, no. So even no, that is, everything is changes. But this so like this. But this is relativity, right? Are we ready for another? We should probably move move on. on. My brain's breaking. (laughs) So are we okay with just skipping right to the poem? Because we we probably need to wrap up soon. Let's do it. Uh, Who would like to read this poem? I would like to read this poem. All right. Uh, So this is a poem I saw recently on the Tumblr. That's where I find all my poems. Uh, The poem on the link that I have found here was posted by... uh, Shorts at the Fair, and it is attributed to Spencer Madsen. The poem is called My Cat is Sad. My cat is sad. No one else in his family is a cat. We are all human, except for him. He is excluded from most things. (laughs) And no one tells him why. He just wants to play and be loved. He looks at us with wonder and disappointment. He says, hello, I am a cat. This is my existence. Or what is my existence? What is that? Why it and not me? Please, can you look at me and love me too? Can I have some of your food, please? I'm sorry, I don't like my food so much. Do you want to play with my toys? This one is my favorite. Do you like me? Are we brothers? Why didn't I grow up? Why am I so small? Can you help me be happy? Where are you going? That's the poem. I I have to apologize for being rude there. Um, You were cutting in and out on my line for a little bit, and so you said... My cat is sad that he doesn't have a ca- that he doesn't own a cat, or that he he's the only one in his family that doesn't own a cat. And then there was just silence, and I thought that was the end oh, of the no. poem. <laughs> My cat is sad. No one else in his family is a cat. 
that's it. Yeah. I was like, no, it, hilarious. It was, that's great. That is actually and pretty funny. <laughs> no, this poem got me because it starts off um, pretty funny in that it's talking about things that a cat would be sad about that that we think it's, I don't know, just kind of funny that, that they're sad about. Like, I don't like my food. Can I have your food? You know. But then that ending line of where are you going? Um, it just made me think of uh, a kid growing up and and going off to college and leaving the family cat, um, which I don't know why that stuck in my head as opposed to just like a person walking out of the room or leaving for work or whatever. Um, but that really like made me very sad when I read it. Just the thought of, uh, are we brothers? Why didn't I grow up? Why am I so small? Can you help me be happy? Where are you going? Why did why didn't I get into Rutgers? <laughs> <laughs> but exactly that string of like I, I don't know, it just made me think of like a young boy getting a cat and them, you know, quote unquote growing up together, uh, but then the boy has to, you know, leave and the cat stays at home and uh I don't know, it really got me. Though those parents should have gotten the cat sooner so that the boy could see the cat die. <laughs> and learn about death. Spoken like a great father. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. I mean, I had to leave my pet bird when I went to college and uh, oh. definitely had a plan to, after I was out of the dorms, uh, get her sent up to Berkeley uh, to live in my new apartment. But she did, in fact, die in the oh. while she was at That's... home, which, bummer. But, like, yeah, it was that sort of, uh, oh, like, she doesn't know where I went or why I left, <laughs> you know? She doesn't know. I never came back from her perspective, and that, I don't know, that really sucks. But, um, but yeah, I think that this poem just, I like how it fluctuates between the person's perception of the cat and then the cat's kind of way of talking. Like, what is that? Why it and not me? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I don't know. The, the language is really good at, uh, subtly shifting to the cat perspective right because it very much starts with the with the person's perspective of my cat is sad um but then by the end it's entirely the cat's yeah that's interesting and like kind of it starts with the human projecting onto the cat like the cat is like the thing about the cat being the only one in his family that doesn't have a cat <laughs> It doesn't actually say that, Avery. I'm oh. just going to point out. Oh, man. It, what it says is, my cat is sad. No one else in his family is a cat. But I love your interpretation. <laughs> Gosh, darn it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I really thought, I was really like, wow, that's great. <laughs> the cat thinks it's a person and wonders why, why it doesn't, it doesn't have a, have a cat. cat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's a whole different level. I love that interpretation, but that's not actually what the poem says. That was that was the only the only uh, technical issues I've had during the entire podcast is just as you started reading the <laughs> reading the poem. Created poetry, for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just for me. I'm gonna go out and write a poem about my pet cat, wishing it had a pet cat. <laughs> there you go. It's yours. You've now. heard there are people who like do that where they're like, I gotta get my dog a dog, or I gotta get my cat a cat. Where then they what they really do is they just get a second dog or a second cat. Yeah, but like. Sometimes the dynamic is kind of like that. Yeah, Winston definitely needs a kid. <laughs> oh, do you have an announcement to make? <laughs> I'll let you know. Sometimes the dynamic is like that, where, you know, sometimes you're getting... Okay, so you have 
dog A. I'm going to use dogs because I never had dogs. You have dog A, right? And you get a second dog. And sometimes what you're doing is you're getting that dog a brother or a sister. But sometimes you're getting that dog a dog, if you know what I mean. Like, sometimes the first dog is just a lot smarter than the second dog. (laughs) (laughs) And the dynamic between the two dogs is that that it's that dog's dog if he like that happens sometime whether intentionally or not yeah but can you do that on purpose because that sounds adorable i think people try yeah you could totally get a less smart dog breed right right if if you're starting with a border collie just get get a greyhound you're good to go you have gotten your dog a dog you took you got the smartest dog and the stupidest dog good job or just get your dog a squirrel yeah it's like the dog's dog they have dog oh. iq tests right Uh uh-huh the dog has to you have like those shapes and then the dog has to take those like blocks and put them together into shapes but they're like dog shapes like bones yeah and fire hydrants and other dogs they could totally like just have like at the at the at the dog shelter they could have like little placards with like (laughs) estimated dog iq here and like people definitely always want the smartest possible child but that's not the case with with pets at all they should go no. one step further and have D&D style stats for all of the dogs. Like, this dog has a charisma of 12 and a max press oh of... God. That would be useful. Because there's <laughs> yeah. basically websites that do that just in, like, prose terminology. Or there's there's even... I bet you I bet you anything you can find websites where they'll list out all the breeds and they will give them a number, a numerical score based on, like, intelligence and like loyalty or whatever and that's basically Alignment. that basically that yeah, how much can it deadlift <laughs> <laughs> well when you look at pit bulls i would love to see a dog deadlifting. <laughs> you know i mean they have weight pull is a dog sport yeah i guess so that exists i guess that's the dog equivalent of deadlifting Basically, yeah. You 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 tie a harness to a dog and you put a little thing behind it and you put cinder blocks on it and then you hold a hot dog in front of it and see how much it can pull. (laughs) That's a measure of how much it likes hot dogs. Yeah. Yeah, my miniature dachshund could pull like four cinder blocks because he loved uh, loved hot dogs that much. Nice. Wait, you've done this? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) It's a non. uh, I've only ever owned birds as pets, which apparently you have also. So I'm. What kind of birds? uh, I had cockatiels. Okay, same, same. When people say they own birds as pets, sometimes they mean they own finches, and sometimes they mean they own, you know, double yellow-headed kind of parrot. parrots that can talk to you, and it's a very different thing. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. The only line of this poem that I don't agree with is, can I have some of your food, please? I'm sorry, I don't like my food so much. There's no way that cat would apologize. <laughs> I feel like they should have struck the I'm sorry. Just can I have some of your food, please? I don't like my food so much. That's the um, attitude. But also in my experience, cats love their food. Really? Yeah. They they always they always they're always eating it. Huh. That's convenient. Yeah, but how many cinder blocks would they pull to get to their food? <laughs> yeah, it's it's just a it's a sporting event that determines how hungry you are. <laughs> Oh man, we should really introduce that kind of stuff for humans. Yeah. (laughs) How many cinder blocks will you pull for a Klondike bar? (laughs) Uh, And that's all the time we have for Topic Lords. Wow. Zoom. Lightning round. Yep. We did three topics. Shannon, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? You'll never find me. 
And Avery, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? If you look into a well uh, with a full moon shining in the sky and say my name 100 times, I will appear. You will you will find a message from Spotify saying they've rejected your album. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, uh, you can find my stuff on Bandcamp. By my stuff, I mean that one album that I can't get onto Spotify because of the extreme. Yeah, when's when's your next album coming? Um, you got to get back together with Lisa. <laughs> so wait, what do I search on Bandcamp to find you? Um, your album, Avery Burke, probably San Francisco, something like that, or just somebody named Lisa. Yeah, I could. I, yeah, I could just date a string of Lisas. I got no matching results. Really? I probably spelled your name wrong. Oh, maybe so. Oh, yeah. You know, I've never spelled my name on this show. Spell it's, your name on the show for us. Uh, it is A-V-E-R-Y-B-U-R-K-E. You know, I've given out my social security number on the show, but I've never spelled my name. <laughs> <laughs> I was, and I was really excited about that episode because I thought that I would hear uh, like just a bunch of scrambled something when I when I said my social security number, but the, the editor wisely just cut the whole thing out. Yeah, no, it was because there were too many of the same number on it. <laughs> yeah. So we decided like that's we can't safely scramble this because it might end up the same. <laughs> yeah. Hey Avery. <laughs> yes. Who's Lisa? Uh who's Lisa? Who is Lisa? Uh I, it was it was a relationship that I had it was very very important relationship. She's a very special person. We broke up, and I wrote an album to basically apologize for everything that had gone wrong. And then we got back together, and then we broke up again. But you okay. didn't apologize the second Maybe time. Maybe I shouldn't have asked. I I just I really like the album name Six Songs for Lisa. It's just oh oh thanks yeah it um I'm pretty proud of that album. I'm gonna go listen to it. Oh thanks. Um for some reason it starts in the middle. So if it seems like there's only three songs, that's because. <laughs> <laughs> it starts on song number three for three songs for Lisa. The other three were cut for time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks so much for being on. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having us. Yeah, good quick one. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. This episode was edited by Esper Quinn, who can also edit your episode if you contact them on Twitter. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com and you can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode.